Welcome to the Locking Castle Church podcast. This Sunday morning teaching was given as part of the What is Love series. Morning. Okay, so today I'm going to talk about love. Now, you've heard lots about love in the last um, few weeks, and we're almost at the end um, of uh, 1 Corinthians 13. We've got one more uh, next week. I don't know who's next week. Who's next week? With ah, Andy Butcher. So, um, so what Andy Butcher's going to do is basically come and say everything that I said wrong, and he's going to correct it for me. Um, no, it's going to be awesome. I'm going to looking forward to that one already. Okay, so today, as I say, I'm going to talk about love. And throughout um, our s- series, we've heard lots and lots and lots about love. Today, what I want to think about is this here: why love cannot be an optional extra. Because sometimes when we uh, listen to sermons, we go, oh yeah, that's interesting. Yeah, I might try and apply that um, to my life. Here I'm saying, no, it cannot be an optional extra. And I want to kind of unpack that and try to work out what that means. And I'm going to come uh, to this question with three hats on, even though I don't have a hat. Okay, the first hat is as a Christian, and that's most important. Since I'm doing a sermon, I should talk about being a Christian. The second one, I want to talk about being a scientist. Okay, so I've been a researching scientist for 15 years, uh, and then in the last 10 years as a teacher, and that's my last hat that I want to um, kind of talk about. So how do we talk about love as a Christian, as a scientist, and as a teacher, and why is it so vital? Uh, Before I get into it, the first thing I want to say, I am going to be talking about some quite difficult subjects, about trauma, about adverse childhood experiences, um, abuse, those kind of things. So if any of that starts getting triggering for you, okay, this is a safe space, feel free to have a step out or hold on to someone that you, that you trust. Uh, there's going to be prayer ministry at the end. Um, so just be, um, just know that you're held here um, with anything that I say. So the first thing I want to think about is it's not an optional extra, as I say. In Matthew 22, 37 to 39, Jesus' great commandment, love your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and all your mind. And love your neighbor as yourself. Now that one, love your neighbor as yourself, that means you have to love yourself before you can love your neighbor. Uh, And that's always the thing that always brings back when I hear that bit, love yourself so you can love your neighbor. Now, Emily last week um, was talking about the first mention of the word love. And she said that the, f- that the first time it was mentioned was Genesis 22. And it, yes, that was the first time that the word love appears. However, love itself appears a little bit earlier uh, than that. Now, if you have your Bible, can you turn to me to Genesis 1? Now, I love Genesis 1. This is the third or fourth time I've read it in a sermon. Somehow I managed to squeeze it in everywhere. 
In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty, darkness over the surface of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. And God said, let there be light, and there was light. God saw that the light was good, and he separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. And there was evening, and there was morning the first day. And God said, let the the expanse uh, between the waters to separate the water from water. So God made the expanse and separated the water under the expanse of the water above it. And so it was so gold called the expanse sky, and there was evening and the morning the second day. Then God said, let the water under the sky gather to one place. Let dry ground appear, and it was so. And he called the dry, land, the dry ground land, and the gathered water he called the seas. And God saw it was good. Then, and I'm just going to paraphrase the rest of it, vegetation. What did he see it was? Good. Then he made animals, and he said they were good. Then he made man, and then he saw it was very good. Okay, so God, the creator of the earth, okay, he saw that it was good. Now, if God is good all the time, God is good all the time, yeah, and God is love, and God made the creation in his image, he put love at the foundation of the world. That's what Genesis 1 says. He made everything good, though. Let me let let. Thank you very much for that. So he put the he put love as the foundation of the world, land, vegetation, creatures, all good, all love, and as you rightly say, he made us very good. He gave us the soul. He gave us, therefore, more love than, uh, than everything else. But we do know, and there is something in the Bible that tells us that love is not just reserved for human beings. If you think about Luke 19, okay, 37 to 40, this is where the Pharisees are trying to squash the... Um, Uh, the followers of Jesus from worshiping him as he's coming uh, into Jerusalem. And what does Jesus say? Even the rocks will worship God. So if you silence my people, even the rocks will uh, worship me. Now, we can only worship God if we love God, so therefore love is in that foundation of the world. As a scientist... We see love in nature uh, in lots of different places, okay? We don't use the word love when we look at it. We use the word mutualism, okay? So have a think back to your O-level or GCSE biology. Some might need to think back a little bit longer than others, which is fine. I'm not. And we call it mutualism, okay? So this is where love is in the world. We have one species here, 
And we have one species here. Now, this first species is going to do something to help this species out. And that help isn't a direct thing of, well, I'm going to give you that because that's going to help me. And then this one's going to do the same thing. And actually, what happens is they form a bit of a community where they both benefit, mutualism. It's a mutualistic relationship. Now, a really good example of that is the clownfish, or as my kids at school call it, the Nemo fish. And so the clownfish loves to live in sea anemones. Okay? Now, the sea anemones have got poison spikes uh, on there. So if another fish tried to swim in a sea anemone, it would get stung and it would die. But what the clownfish does is it comes and swims in there and then eats all the little parasites which are on top, which are kind of killing the uh, sea anemone. And then the sea anemone gives the clownfish somewhere to live. So the clownfish is helping the sea anemone by eating the parasites. And the sea anemone is giving the clownfish somewhere safe to live. Love. Yeah. Remember that whole... Luke 6, uh, 31, do to others as you would do to yourself. There's also parental behavior that we see uh, in nature, birds looking after their, lo their young, lions teaching cubs how to hunt, uh, lion cubs playing, um, loving life. There is love in all of God's creation. Now, when we think about that in terms of our uh, human selves, we have that idea of love being, I'm going to help you because I know I'm going to potentially get something in return, either straight away or down, uh, down the road. So I live in a little village, and when I'm driving into the village, there's one road where there's often cars going the other way. So I see a car going the other way, and I'm going to pull over, and I'm going to let them pass. Now, that doesn't benefit me, However, the next time I'm driving the other way, I'm hoping that somebody else is going to do the same. Do to others as you would do uh, to yourself. There was another example uh, when me and Kat were on holiday this year. Um, we were swimming around in the sea in Italy, and we'd left our flip-flops by the side of, um, of the beach. Um, and the sea was coming in, and I saw my flip-flop being taken up by the water, and I went, ah, I'm going to lose my flip-flop. And at right that second, there was a group of Italian uh, school children um, playing there, and this girl just went, stopped what she was doing for a second, picked the flip-flop up, and moved it about five meters up. That's not her flip-flop. Why she moved it? She's doing it because... If she was in the sea, she would have hoped somebody would do it herself. Now, those kind of things, to me, give me this warm, fuzzy feeling inside. Yeah. So if you're ever driving the other way, um, give me a wave, because actually it builds my spirits up. Okay? I even said to Kat um, about uh, the Italian flip-flop girl, oh, that makes me feel all gooey inside. I might talk about the gooey fuzzy feelings in, in a little bit, but uh, we'll move on from that. Community, okay, that is that love. Now, it's not just that warm, fuzzy feeling, though. 
It's really vital for our very existence. Now, this is where I'm going to start, uh, talk about as a Christian and as a scientist. Okay? And the way that I put the two together, and I ha I've had to do a lot of thinking about this because as a scientist I get told, oh, you can't be a Christian if you're a scientist. And a lot of people have said, oh, you're a Christian. Why are you a scientist? You can't be the thing. This is how I, how I work that. Scientists tell me how things work, and Christianity tells me why it works. So I'm going to pull those two together. Now, so if God made the earth, science is therefore the study of God's creation, right? That's kind of my um, thing. So I've been reading this little book here. It's called The Little Book of Big Stuff About the Brain. Okay? So I'm going to read you um, some of this. We're going to have a look at some brain biochemistry uh, in a second. So this is the foreword to explain the, the things around it. And I'm going to talk about um, George Bush for a second, but bear with me. To enhance public awareness, the benefits to be derived from brain research, the Congress, U.S. Congress, of the House of Joint Representatives have designated the decade beginning January the 1st, 1990, as the decade of the brain, and has authorized and requested the president to issue a proclamation in observance with this occasion. So George Bush made that declaration, and with, this, uh, with that, he opened the decade of the brain, a period of unprecedented collaboration, research, discovery, focused on advancing our understanding of the human brain. Since that time, there has been many amazing discoveries ex um, concerning the gray matter between our ears, more than ever in any other point in history. In fact, it is argued that 95% of what is known about the brain has been learnt in the last 15 years or so. So between the years of 1990 and the year 2000 was the decade of the brain. Billions of pounds, billions of dollars of research went into trying to work out what the brain is doing and how it's working. And this is what they found out. Understand people, give them self-esteem, give them self-confidence, engage them, do unto others as you would do to you. Just let you that sink in for a second. Where do we see that? Basically, that's 1 Corinthians 13. We could have saved them $15 million of uh, research and just say, just read 1 Corinthians 13. That's basically what we've been saying for millennia. Understand someone, give them self-esteem, give them self-confidence, engage with them, give them love. And that is how we develop the perfect brain. Now, I want to demonstrate um, how this actually works. I'm going to give you a biology lesson. I've got some smiley faces. I've got some, oh dear. However, we're not going to do a full-on full biology lesson with some clubs. 
I do need some volunteers, though, which I've already... Um, they're not volunteers. I've told them they have to come up. So can you come, come up, please? Give them a round of applause. And do you want to come and stand over here? Okay, so we've got Dave and we've got Dan. Dan, if you want to stand on the other side for me. Okay, now these are some neurochemicals. Okay, so we have here glutamate. Okay, all right, glutamate? Yeah. Yeah, he hasn't got a clue what's going on. <laughs> and then we've got dopamine. You right, dopamine? Okay, so two neurochemicals in the brain. Glutamate, okay, is all about excitement. That's why he's got his cap on. So he's a little bit like a boy racer. He goes for a rave, yeah. And the problem with glutamate is it's really easy to release. However, if we leave it unchecked, he's going to do a lot of damage. What? A whole load of damage. Okay. But we really need him because actually he gives us that excitement in life and a reason for living. So he's really important. But we need to check him out. Yeah, we need to just make sure that he's not getting too excited. Okay? So this is where dopamine comes along. So dopamine is like one of those drivers with his little flat cap and driving along nice and gently. And if he drives in front of uh, glutamate, he's going to kind of slow him down a little bit. Okay. But what happens if um, dopamine goes too strong and slams on the brake? What's going to happen? They're going to smash into each other. Okay. So, what dopamine is doing, dopamine calms down glutamate. Now, if I give a little bit of dopamine into glutamate, he can function quite normally. He's still got a bit of excitement. Yeah. But we kind of settle him down. So, glutamate is going to get really excited. Now, Dopamine is going to come up really, really, really heavy. Yeah. And he's going to proper squash him and he's going to end up on the floor. So if we have too much dopamine, okay, that's what stress is. So stress relieves too much dopamine, completely compressing any kind of excitement. Now, what we're talking about here, self-esteem, self-control, love... That cannot happen in that situation. Right, thank you, but you can uh, give him a round of applause. Hopefully, you can get it. So, we need that balance, okay? So, if we don't have dopamine, the brain basically destroys itself. And if we have too much dopamine, that's stress, etc. And therefore, no longer self esteem, self confidence, engaging, learning, being able to live. Um, a happy, fulfilled life. And there's a few things that I see as a teacher of where this goes wrong. So in the early ages, that control of those two chemicals um, is all about love of that child. It's giving that child experiences, beneficial childhood experiences, they're, they're called. So that's a, that's a hug. That's a, 
I'm looking after you, the basic needs. That's also things like giving the memories of when things do go wrong, actually there's some loving arms around them. In adolescence, that dopamine goes up and down a lot. And that's why we have the trouble of people in adolescence. And that's a natural thing. However, if we think about a young child which experiences trauma, domestic abuse, uh, experiences um, sexual harassment or assault, sexual assault. I've got kids who have been sexually assaulted three or four times and they're 11 years old. Imagine how much dopamine has been given to them in that stressful situations. Their, their lives, therefore, cannot regulate that. Even through, through the adolescence, when it's all up and down, they can't regulate. So this is why love is really important. Now, those traumatic effect, uh, things are called adverse childhood experiences. And all children go through them. Um, losing a grandparent is an adverse childhood experience. However, getting round that child with a beneficial childhood experience, that family around them can counteract that. When a child is being developed and is not having those wraparound beneficial childhood experiences, we struggle when they get into secondary school because they can't do this. They can't take my love as a teacher to help them know that I understand them. They can't, self, they, they can't get the self-esteem I'm trying to give them. They don't have self-confidence. So this is why love isn't just this nice, warm, fuzzy feeling. It's vital for, for life. And as adults, it's the same thing. We think about who's not here today. Think about people that we normally speak to. Have we seen them for the last couple of weeks? Have they stopped coming? Have they isolated themselves? They need that love as well. So, going back to our passage in 1 Corinthians 13, this is God's blueprint for this human development. So, let's teach ourselves and our kids to be kind, not self-seeking, being patient, protecting, trusting, hoping, preserving, all of those things, that brain chemistry is... It's helping that brain chemistry. Adults, it's still possible for these chemicals to come back into balance. And that's my job as a teacher, to try and bring those chemicals back into balance. But it's much harder when we get beyond our teens. So as an adult who's not been shown love as a kid can sometimes struggle to show love themselves because the brain protects itself and we need to break that wiring and reform it. And that's really hard. However, 
We're stood in a church. We are a church. Don't we know someone who says, in me nothing is impossible? And that's where I'm going to bring that science straight back into Christianity. With God, everything is possible. So, today I want to challenge you. Where do we love out there? And that love can be something really simple. It could be that wave at that motorist as they've let you um, come out instead of them. It could be when we're in the supermarket, deciding not to go via the self-checkout, but go through a normal checkout and have a chat and say, oh, how's your day going to the cashier? Because there's a chance that that cashier might have spent the last half an hour really stressed because there's been a customer who's had a real bad go at them. To do that, we need to love ourselves. As it says, love our neighbors as ourselves. So, here we are to finish. Do we love ourselves? Do we love each other? Do we show it on a daily basis? There's your challenge. We need God's forgiveness when we mess it up. And if we mess it up, we go the next time and we do it better next time. We get God's uh, thing and say, actually, I, I did have to be really nasty to that person in Morrison's, but I didn't really have to be nasty. I just, there was just something I needed to sort out. Next time, I'm going to love that person. And I'm going to love. I'm going to love unconditionally, which as a teacher can be really hard. Really, really hard. But that is my calling I find teaching really, really difficult sometimes. To the point, late last year, I almost gave up teaching. But God's called me to go and love those kids. So, loving ourselves, loving each other. If we struggle to show love, what do we do about it? We've got lots of places here, lots of people, the prayer ministry, uh, Emily to come and speak to, to get prayer, the prayer uh, healing next, uh, next weekend. Uh, we're lots of places where we are. Because ultimately, yes, we do need God's help in this. Where can we show that love in our community? Love is not an optional extra. Thank you for listening. To find out more about Locking Castle Church, please visit our website at lockingcastlechurch.org.